Hey, welcome to the Life Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more info, you can check us out on Facebook at Life Church of Columbia. So, today I want to continue with a, a topic, a subject. Uh, several weeks back, I got to teach on a functional kingdom. And we did a lot of comparisons between King David and King Jesus. You like how I did that? That was good, wasn't it? We did a lot of comparisons between, cherish like that, between David and Jesus, because if you really pay attention to the Bible, you'll understand David as an as a incredible foreshadow of Jesus and his kingdom and what was to come. And so today I want to pull some more of those parallels, and I want to take it a little further, and I almost changed my title today, because if you've been tracking with us very long, you know that if there's any way I can put family in the title, I'll find a way. Uh, and so I actually almost changed it to a functional family, but I knew no one on earth had any idea what a functional family was. Uh, so I figured I would just leave it at this. And, uh, <laughs> and so, but we're going to deal with that. And I really want to take the idea of David's kingdom and I want to break it all the way down and show you how it actually was a family. Ha, I did it anyway. Uh, so Jennifer let us know, if y'all didn't get to hear Wednesday night, wow. I mean, it's captured, and we haven't put it on podcast yet because I tried to stream it, and she slapped my hand, told me I couldn't that night. So I've been holding off on the podcast, but I'm telling you, there was some stuff that came out Wednesday night. I can't get over it. Me and Dad have actually been on the phone talking about the, uh, the oversized garments. That part is just wrecking me. Uh, but anyway, I'm trying not to get distracted. But anyway, Wednesday night, she let me know that a lot of times when I teach on family, she doesn't listen. And uh, <laughs> so that's not exactly what she said. But uh, no, but I understand. I, I do. I want you to know that as God has given me the grace to step into a revelation of family and just the ability to teach it for so long, I do understand and spend a lot of my time in the wrestling match of prayer because I understand most people have jacked up families. I just get it. Uh, and so a lot of times I reserve or I pull back or I don't want to release certain things because I feel like that. I feel like most people, when I start talking about a functional family, they're going to be like, whoop, I'm out. <laughs> my family's way past being functional. And I get that. I understand. I was blessed beyond measure and raised in what I believe to be the best family you could be raised in. My parents didn't get it all right, but they got most of it right. And even though a lot of times they may have done certain things wrong, their desire to love Jesus well made up for a lot of things that, 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 that may have been an opportunity for division or anything like that. And so I'm super thankful for that. That being said, I am a third generation teacher. I am super thankful for that. I don't downplay it or neglect that whatsoever. I honor it and know that I am where I am because of legacy, because of people that have gone before me. And I used to even struggle talking about those types of things. Like my grandfather was a teacher of the word, and so I'm a third generation. I used to struggle with it because I didn't want people to be so disconnected from it and think, well, my dad was an alcoholic, and my grandpa was an alcoholic, and we were dysfunctional, and we were this. And it's easy to remove yourself from it instead of taking it as an understanding that my grandpa might not have been, but my grandchild will be. Yeah. You, see, you see the different perspective? And so even though it's such an honor to be a third generation, it's more of an honor to know that I will have an effect on the sixth generation and the seventh generation and it's, and it's moving in that direction, and so I'm super thankful this morning, and we're going to dive further into this, and I'm going to use the concept of family a lot today, uh, and so I hope that this just speaks to your spirit. I hope that you can, by faith, access a grace this morning, according to Romans chapter 5, to receive the spirit of a teacher today, the impartation of a teacher that I not just give you some good lines or good definitions, but that you actually receive something today. So right now, before we read our first scriptures, can we just pray together? 
that we be ready and receptive. Father, I thank you this morning. I ask that you just speak and declare. Father, you've given me a good word. Help me not to mess it up. Let it come forth clear and bold. Let it come with a spirit of impartation into people's spirits, their hearts, their souls, their mind. Let there be a, 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 a metanoia today, a, a changing of the mind, a repentance that happens in our deepest, most parts of our, our spirits and our hearts, God, that we begin to collect something this morning that will become a seed of conception to birth something in our lives. We thank you for it this morning. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. So I'm going to go back just very briefly. I don't want to spend a lot of time dealing with the first functional kingdom message, but I just want to lay a quick foundation. Uh, if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles, because it'll probably take you half the time I preach to find it, I'm going to read out of Amos. Yes, that actually is a book in the Bible. I'm not playing with you. It's in the Old Testament, right before Obadiah. <laughs> Good luck finding Obadiah so you can find Amos. Uh, you can go ahead and turn there. We're going to read out there. Before we do, I want to give you a definition. I gave you this last time, the definition of functional. Functional actually means designed to be practical and useful rather than attractive. A functional kingdom, a functional family is one that is designed to be practical and useful rather than attractive. It's crazy because we live in the age of social media and often it's a lot easier to make my family look attractive than my family to actually be effective. Because I like to post the pictures where me and KG are doing hair and makeup or playing with a doll or I'm teaching my kid to ride a bike because that all looks really functional. Well, we don't post pictures <laughs> when it's not like that. You see what I'm saying? So what's happened is, just like the church has created a social media persona, we like to create the idea that we're really attractive, even though, if we were honest, we're not very functional. So today I want to look into this, and I want to look at the idea of the intent. What's the intent? What's the motive behind these establishments, these things? So we're going to start in Amos chapter 9, because this is where the whole thing began. Uh, I want to read nine, uh, chapter 9, verse 11 through 15. Amos 9, 11 through 15. He is prophesying and says, On that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and repair its damages. And I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old that they may possess the remnant of Edom and the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does this thing. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows seed. The mountains shall drip with sweet wine and the hills shall flow with it. I will bring back the captives of my people. They shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink wine from them. They shall also make gardens and eat fruit from them. I will plant them in their land, and no longer shall they be pulled up from the land I have given them, says the Lord. Really, we're going to deal solely with verse 11. He said, I'm going to reestablish, I'm going to rebuild the tabernacle of David. So you have to go in and begin to understand the kingdom of David and how it was built, what it was about, and that it was built and established around the tabernacle that David established. David actually broke a lot of religious rules when he began to establish his tabernacle, and he actually set up a tabernacle that wouldn't be accepted for real until thousands of years later after Jesus came and established a new covenant. So there's some pretty crazy things that I'm going to just kind of throw out here, and uh, I hope you can, I hope the Holy Spirit will allow you to keep up and you piece it together like he has for me. One thing I want you to notice about David's kingdom is him and Jesus, uh, David and Jesus both shared an interest in functionality. They both seemed to be less impressed with concepts and relics and more involved with the simplicity of function and intention. I know that's a mouthful. But both David and his kingdom, if you were to study it and read it through, and Jesus when he is establishing his kingdom in the New Testament were not moved by relics. They were not moved by traditions of men. 
They were not moved by concepts. They wanted something they could feel, something that was functional, something that was moving and working and doing. The church had a system, I'm not going to call it the church, there was a religious system established at the time that according to traditions and concepts would put the current church today to shame. But Jesus was unmoved by the level of concept and tradition of the church in his day. He even said, I'm grieved because I came to find a fire that is not burning. All I found was you created a really good system that has become attractive to the type of people you want to attract. And so what happens is we have Jesus showing up to the same thing David did. And David shows up to a kingdom who had built a system to attract certain types of people. Saul had built a kingdom around people who were like Saul. And when he finds himself in a place where there's people that don't think like him and move like him and act like him and look like him, Saul loses his stuff. And begins, so they both walk into the same idea and they begin to flip it upside down. So that being said, I want you to look at 1 Samuel chapter 22. We're going to read probably more of what David did and just refer to Jesus in the Gospels because I assume you would probably know more from the Gospels just offhand. 1 Samuel chapter 22. Verse 1, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. Catch the verse 2. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented gathered to David. So he became captain over them. And there were about 400 men with him. Then David went from there to another place and he said to the king, Please let my father and mother come here with you till I know till I know what God will do for me. I need you to catch this. David finds himself in a place where he's running for his life. He's hiding from those that want to kill him. He ends up in the cave called Adullam. When people that are in the same situation as him find out, they come and find him. And they come and be where he is. When David gets ready to go do whatever God is going to ask him to do, he takes his parents... <laughs> And goes to a certain place and says, will you keep them because I'm about to go do something and I don't even know what God's going to do yet. A lot of times our inactivity is the response of us not knowing what God's going to do yet. But I love to read guys like David, uh, Jonathan, who said, maybe God will help us. <laughs> maybe he won't, but we're going to go anyway. And so there's this idea, and you see this transferred into when Jesus comes and begins to establish his kingdom, of not needing, he raises up men who didn't need all the answers, they just were willing to say, I'm going to go. I'm going to be functional in this moment. I'm not going to wait until I have all the pieces together and I have a plan and everything's laid out perfect. We're just going to start moving. Why? Jesus, like King David, was moved by the simplicity of function of moving, of doing. So we see these two incredible kingdoms that have been established. We see people begin to gather to David in his obscurity. And from that cave of obscurity emerges the boldest unit on the planet. Get this. David's hiding in a cave for his life. And everyone else that should be hiding because of all their dysfunction goes and hides with him. And from that place of hiding comes the baddest men on the planet. These guys come out and wreck shop everywhere. There's not a city they can't take. There's not an army they can't handle. There's not a situation they don't have an answer for. These are the men that emerge. So it begs the question, what went on in this cave? What was David doing in this cave that birthed this group of men? What's crazy is fast forward hundreds of years later, we see a man called Jesus drawn into a place called obscurity, the wilderness. From that place of obscurity, we see 12 men gather around him and they become the baddest unit on the planet. What changed though? 
In the Old Testament, you have there the baddest man with a sword, the baddest man with a spear, the baddest man with whatever he could put his hands on. In the New Testament, they become the baddest men on the planet in the Spirit. And they do more damage in the Spirit. Why is this so important? David and Jesus both begin to create and form a group of people who from the time they showed up never had any idea or intentions of sitting on the bench. 400 men didn't find David in a cave because they thought it would be a good place to spend the rest of their life hiding. They knew better. 12 men didn't start following Jesus because they thought it would be a good escape for them to get out of the situation they were in. They followed Jesus because they thought, we're about to take over Rome. This is the difference between a functional kingdom and a religious system. A religious system says, you come and join this and you hang out on the bench while somebody does all the work. That's not the kingdom that Jesus established. Jesus and David both begin to rally a group together. And from the moment they're rallied together, they begin to train them and disciple them to do what they were intended to do. Those 400 men were birthed, designed, and intended to be the baddest men on the planet. David just had to get them together, train them, and equip them to step into what they were called to be. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, James, all these guys were destined and designed to be who they were on the planet. They just had to find a man in a place of obscurity that would be willing to train and disciple them to become who they were intended to become. What is this? This is what we call a functional unit. It's what I'm going to call a functional family. I don't believe that either group came with the intentions of standing idly by while the leader did everything. And I also don't believe Jesus or David, either one, ever had those intentions for them. Jesus' goal was never to be the one that did all the work while his 12 minions watched what was going on. David's intentions was never to go out and fight a battle by himself and take a whole kingdom. It was always to raise up men around him who become what they were designed to be so that the kingdom could become what it is designed to be. The idea that there is one leader who works and we cheer him on is the exact opposite of the kingdom Jesus established. And the longer we hold on to, go pastor, you do it, you pray it, you speak it, you witness, you declare, you do all these things, the longer we hold on to this model, the further we get from the kingdom of Jesus. So we can pray for revival and we can pray God touch our city, but until we break the idea that the man in the pulpit is the one who is God's man of power for the hour until we get away from that uh, religious idea we'll never see a functional kingdom in our community we'll never come to the place Jesus not for one moment had any intentions of any of the disciples just chilling out we know this because Jesus actually begins to put them to work way sooner than we all want him to are you with me? <laughs> All right, guys. You haven't passed any test yet. <laughs> As a matter of fact, you've failed most of them. Now I'm going to send you out in twos and see how well you do. Jesus, look, bro. Look, we have these leadership seminars here in America, and if you could just attend one, you could grow your church a little better because they're not ready to go out. Jesus is saying, I had no intentions for them to be ready yet. Golly, we're, not, we're so not used to this. Jesus is saying, I had no intentions to create 12 men who knew how to ride the bench. As a matter of fact, if that was the, in, if that was the intention, if that was the plan, I would have done it with less people because then it would have been less I had to carry around. Right? David didn't hide in a cave and say, all right, guys, this is our cave. We love this cave. Let's just hang on to this cave. Let's make it the prettiest cave in our parish. We'll have the best worship services in our cave. We'll have the best preaching in our cave. This is our cave, and we love the cave of Adullam. David said, no, nah, we're going to hang out here for a minute. 
Because I'm going to make you bad with a sword. And as soon as I think you can handle one on your own, you're out. As soon as I think you're ready, we're out of here. The problem is the church has reverted back to an Adullam mindset. And this is my cave, Kenny. And I kill it in this cave. I'm the best preacher in this cave. I'm the best singer in this cave. I can do this in the cave. The cave wasn't the design. The cave was a cave of discipleship. It was a cave of training. Can you imagine the one-on-one battles that took place in that cave? Come on, I need you to go there with me. Can you imagine the fights, the intense training? I can just, in my mind, I just, it's all just military stuff running through my mind. Hearing uh, Summer share some of the stuff that they went through. And Colin, when he was at uh, Paris Island, I can just see David waking up before everybody and coming there kicking guys and yelling and screaming. You better get up and get ready. Today is it. And just, of course, he probably wasn't using the same language that the drill sergeants are using. But you see what I'm saying? Preparing these men, making these men ready. Why? David had no intentions for them to remain in the cave. The problem is with the American church today, you can just come hang out in my cave and we're good with it. Oh, you went to the cave this week, so you're good. You get to go to heaven. You didn't change nothing. You didn't affect nobody. You didn't share the gospel. You didn't preach to nobody. You didn't witness to nobody. You didn't pray for nobody in the community. You didn't do nothing for the kingdom, but you hung out in the cave one time a week, so you get to go to heaven. That's the church. Welcome to our cave. Do you like it? It's probably the nicest cave in the parish. The cave is not the intention. It's not the design. I love that even as the disciples were just coming on board with Jesus, he was already giving them jobs. We know Judas handled the money. Probably wasn't a good idea, but he had the money. You see the, so, so you have to begin to think, well, if Judas was the accountant, then they all had to have roles that they played. So when they come on board, Jesus is not bringing them on saying, I'm going to cradle you and keep you until one day, sweet by and by, you get to go to heaven. No, he said, you come to me to be trained, equipped, and prepared to go preach the gospel. And if you expect anything less, you're going to be disappointed. Jesus was so driven by this that he preaches the craziest message known to man. Another time where you want to say, Jesus, let me give you a little tip on, on missions work. But Jesus gets up and says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. When he does, his mega church becomes a small group like that. When it drops to a small group, even the ones in his small group are like, this is tough. It's getting weird now. I don't know if I can handle this. Jesus is so driven by the mission, you know what he says? Y'all going to leave too? That's his response. Y'all, y'all going to leave too? Of course, I love their response. Leave and go where? <laughs> yeah, it was weird. Don't get me wrong, but where else are we going to go? It was the idea. Jesus said, I'm coming to create a functional kingdom. Not some cave where we all hang out and hide from the world and just wait till one day that good old gospel ship's just going to take me home. No, that's not it. That's not it at all. He said, I'm creating this functional kingdom. Let me show you what this looks like. The functional kingdom, which I'm calling the family now, is the intent of the family unit. It's the intent of this kingdom. The actual term functional family is a social and structural is the social and structural properties of the family environment. This includes interactions and relationships within the family. When a family structure functions properly, it positively nurtures each individual member. When parts are not in equilibrium, it creates dysfunction. The whole thing? (laughs) I actually wrote it down, so I can say it again. When a family structure functions properly, it positively nurtures each individual member. 
And when parts are not in equilibrium, it creates dysfunction. So you may have asked, why is my family so dysfunctional? And there's probably a lot of answers. But the most common denominator is that dysfunctional families are the result of your equilibrium being off. I'm terrible when it comes to anything medical or about the body. Like, I don't know any of that stuff. But I remember growing up, there was a guy in our church who his equilibrium would get off somehow. I don't even know how that works. And when he did, he, he couldn't stand up straight because he would lose his balance. So what happens is, in a family unit, when the equilibrium is not balanced, it becomes dysfunctional. Mm. Equilibrium actually comes from two words, and those words are equal, balance. So even a lot of seemingly good homes where the husband and the wife are both present, and it seems good... If those two roles are not equally balanced, then it's a dysfunctional home. And what happens a lot of times in the church is there is no equilibrium. There's one or two people do everything, and everybody else just hangs out, drags along, rides the course, whatever you want to call it. And there's no equal balance. And so even though a church may look progressive, in reality it's probably dysfunctional. And you wonder, how can we be so progressive? And our Sunday morning services are so good, but our community is still crap. Sorry. Dad, I apologize. Our community is still dysfunctional. We've all asked it. If you haven't asked it, then you don't have the heart of God. Because I love good Sunday morning services. But you know what I love better? Good community. Nailed it. So how long... Do we remain okay with having a good cave and a terrible community? When do we come to the place and realize if we're not functioning on a level that deals with things out there, then that must mean something's out of balance and the equilibrium is off. So David creates a unit and says, I'm not going to go out and do everything. I'm going to train all you to be the baddest men that you can be. And in that equilibrium, we will advance a kingdom like no one's ever seen before. Jesus comes on the scene, establishes a kingdom, and says, I'm not going to go do everything. I'm going to raise up 12 minus 1, 11 guys that are going to be able to do everything I do. And because of the equilibrium of the group, we will advance the kingdom like no one's ever seen before. Ephesians 4 and 7 tells us that he gave us apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, and one other one. Pastors. He gave us those too. He gave us all those so that they could carry the load and do all the work that the church does. If you know your Bible, you know I quoted that wrong. Someone over here quoted it right. He gave us those for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry. So if there's not a group that is here being equipped so that they go and do, if they're not being discipled, trained, prepped, if it's all riding on the two or three or four people that do all the work, the equilibrium is off and the community will never feel the impact. We want revival. Get your equilibrium back. We want our community to be changed and effective. Quit waiting on pastor to witness to everyone in your community. We want the world turned upside down. Quit waiting on me to establish a system that looks like small groups and start one in your home. That being said, I am about to establish a system that looks like small groups and it'll be in your homes. You see what I'm saying? Never once was the intention, this one does this, this one rides and watches. That's not the kingdom of heaven. It's not a functional kingdom. But it's what we've built the church on. We've built the church on the idea that if you get a good enough personality 
to run everything and be the face of everything, then it will be attractive and you will attract people to it. And we think attracting people is a successful church. When Jesus attracted thousands and thousands and then turned around and cut it down to 12 because His desire wasn't great numbers, it was great people. The goal is to be trained, discipled, prepped, and ready to move into what you're called to do. When these two men begin to establish, one being David and one being Jesus, as they begin to establish their kingdoms, I believe they were very intentional from the beginning about letting people know this is not some club that you just join to reap the benefits of. The goal is to change the community. The goal is to advance the kingdom. The goal is to move forward, to change things, to start things, to move in areas. I read the whole prophecy, the whole section in Amos, which I didn't do the first time, because I want you to see something. When he says this tabernacle, this kingdom of David is restored, and we start operating in this level and moving this level, I love that he goes down and starts saying, and you'll begin to plant vineyards. You'll create wealth. You'll create business. You'll create something in your community. You'll have an effect. You'll have a change. You'll begin to do the things in the community that other people get to reap the benefits of. This is where this leads to. This is where this, this thing comes to. The problem is we've settled for the cave. Jesus established a... a a family unit that was so functional that each one of the members of that family ends up establishing the same type of family, which grows enough that someone out of that group can establish another family. And this is how they grew the church so fast. They didn't grow it as fast as they did because James was a really good preacher. And they didn't grow it as fast as they did because Peter was the best prophet. They did because they understood everyone that came in to be a part. The design was that you become trained and equipped to do the work of the ministry. I know this expression of the kingdom is not as fun because it reminds me that I don't get to sit back and watch this thing happen. It's, it's crazy because... There's this, I don't know what you call it, like this juxtaposition or this, there's this, these two different sides that are coming at each other when you have a really strong leader. Because I believe it does two opposite things. On one side, when you have a really strong leader, it's easy to sit back because you think, he's going to get it done. They're going to make it happen. I remember growing up working with my dad he was the type where if he put you on something, if you slowed down for a second, he was about to do it. Like, it's okay, don't worry about it, I'll do it. I got this, I'll get it done. And I think what happens is a lot of times we come up under strong leaders, instead of it being something that motivates me to operate in the level of which they operate, it gives me the option to just kind of, well, I mean, if I don't get out there, you know Colby's going to pray for somebody in the community. So. so, I mean, and I'm part of the church, and he goes to my church. So it's kind of like I prayed for him, really, if you think about it. <laughs> Taking that whole receipt thing a little far. See, so what happens is you need a really strong leader because it takes a really strong leader to raise up strong leaders. It takes one who's not self-conscious, who's not always worried about. See, a lot of times what happens is when a leader sees someone else coming up who's really strong, really gifted, really talented, the leader starts getting nervous because, well, if they're that good, they may end up being better than me, and then I won't be necessary. And that's what happens in the system that the church has created where there can only be one person up here. So if there can only be one person, don't get too good because then I may have to come down and you get up there. And Jesus said, no, you missed it. See, there's not one person up here. I have 12 seats around this campfire, and we all sit around the same fire, and we all get the same information, and we're all discipled on the same level. And in doing so, it creates this 
Because I'm going to put it to you this way. I believe, I don't believe, I know, God is moving us into the direction of using this to train and disciple people that there will be, it will no longer be comfortable to just ride the bench and hope this thing gets better. It will be more pressure on the side of advancing the kingdom and moving in the direction of which you were called to be. But let me tell you this, we have some incredible leaders in this church. So if you choose to sit there and do nothing, we're going to do it. We're going to get it done. We're going to advance the kingdom. We're going to love the community. We're going to reach overseas. We're going to do so much. But the design of every individual that walked into the cave that was reached out and brought in by Jesus was never watch what we do. It was always this is what you're called to do. I'm so thankful to be raised up under the leader that I have been. Because when I got saved, I was raised in church all my life. I tell people that I've been to church more than Jesus because I was in some churches that he wasn't there. Y'all catch that later. I, ra- I was raised in church. I slept under the pew. I got whipped in church. I mean, just that was all I was. I knew it. But I didn't fall in love with Jesus and have an encounter with him until I was out of high school. And had those real moment where I was brought into the kingdom. Well, when I got saved, it just seemed obvious. Like, okay, we're going to start a Bible study at the house and we're going to invite people over because that's what we do. Like, and, and so being raised under the leader and then moved here uh, just very abruptly, <laughs> unexpectedly got thrown into youth ministry. But it was the idea that there was never the... There was never this false understanding that I came into this to just chill out until we go to heaven. There was never that idea in my mind that now that I'm in, we just hang out, we live our best life, and one day we go to heaven. It was always the idea, man, I've been brought into this kingdom for such a time as this. Where can I put my hands? Where can I move? Oh, there's nothing going on at our local high school? Maybe we should get something in the high school. There's nothing going on in this, in, at our church for young adults? Maybe we should get something going for young adults. There's, it was always this understanding. And, and, and I know it's tempting. You want to start doing the whole, well, the only thing we were created for is to worship Jesus. And I want to go into that so bad. But if that was the case... on the level that you're presenting it, then Jesus would have just hung around the fire and sang songs for 33 years. But He didn't. He equipped. He trained. He made ready. He pulled them in close to Him. He taught them everything He knew. Why? Because the kingdom was to be advanced. The kingdom was to be advanced. And it's such, a, it's such a beautiful thing, the way it works. I have found that in my pressing into Him, it stirs up my desire to advance the kingdom. And the more I advance the kingdom, it re-stirs my fire to just press back into Him. And it becomes this thing that works together, back and forth and back and forth, of just a, re- a co-laboring and working with Him to advance the kingdom. We heard Wednesday night that this church has been mantled. We've been called. We've been put into a position. That position is called to affect our community. It's called to advance the kingdom. It's called to move things forward. And that's what we want this church to become. That's what we want this family to become. A functional family to where each individual is being nurtured on a level that you were trained and discipled to do the work of the ministry, to be effective in the community. Jesus raised up a small group of people, and that small group of people each raised up another small group of people. And each of those groups of people kept reaching out. And kept reaching out and it grew 
like crazy. Have you ever stopped and thought, why isn't the church today growing like that? It's because we've made it all about the cave. Even our witnessing models is built around, do you want to go to my church Sunday? You see what I'm saying? And it's all, it all revolves around this cave. Jesus, David, they begin to establish these groups saying it's bigger than the cave. David could have hung out with his 400 men knowing, man, I got these guys. They're the best. My parents are here. This is incredible. We're good. We're safe. We're not hurting. We're not hungry. We're comfortable. It's nice in this cave. We could ride this cave until Jesus comes back. But David knew within him it was bigger than this cave. Can I tell you, Life Church, this kingdom is bigger than this cave. The kingdom is bigger than this group. Jennifer read some scriptures Wednesday night talking about Jesus. And it said, The increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Do we believe that the increase of his government his kingdom, his peace, do we believe that there is no end to it? Do we believe that we are the ones called, designed, equipped, trained, and discipled to go out and advance that kingdom that cannot end? God is calling us beyond a cave mentality. He's reminding us and bringing us back to the idea that he called us in for such a time as this to equip, to train, to make you ready to send you out. When I was in student ministry, a big part of it is you always got to come up with a really cool name. It's like if your youth group don't have a cool name, then why go there? You get what I'm saying? Like, at least that's what it always felt like. And we were legit praying on this. I even had students praying about it. Like, we want something that just feels like us, what we're doing, the movement that we're in. At this time, it was pretty, it was pretty awesome just by the grace of God. He gave us some just crazy little fireball high schoolers. Once a week, they were starting a prayer and Bible study at the high school in the courtyard that had grown to over 400 students. Literally, you couldn't hardly walk through the courtyard, just slam full of kids. It was so incredible. We were just in the middle of this, and I had them praying, and we ended up coming up with the idea of fuel. It was fuel student ministries. And the idea behind that was the letters F-U-E and L, which actually meant to find, unite, equip, and launch. It was always the understanding that it was such a treasure hunt to find them. Like, I don't know how to explain that. Like, it was one of the things I loved. I loved being at the high school and in the games and around the things because it was a treasure hunt to find these students. Like, you just know they're out there just waiting to explode. They just need to be put in the right environment. And so we would find them. And then my goal was to unite them. And so in uniting them, on most Wednesday nights, you could come upstairs in the back, and there would be about 60 kids, high schoolers, just packed into that room upstairs. And we'd just bring them together and we would teach family and unity and being one and what it meant to be a group and just, just pulling them together. After that, we started dabbling in small groups to try to equip them and teach them. Uh, we would meet often at McDonald's or sometimes right here in this building when it was empty and just begin to really push them a little further than what they could get on a Wednesday night. For those of those that were ready to take that next step, and we would meet with them every single week. We would push them. I, literally, I had them writing essays. I mean, I had them going through school, just raising up these young guys. And then eventually, it would come to the point to where I didn't stop and say, all right, now you got to go do it. It would always just organically result in them wanting to go do something. As they begin to be equipped and take it in, they would start asking us, Hey, could we, uh, could we go to the mall and maybe pray for people? Or, hey, could I start a 
prayer meeting at the school? Hey, could I start a Bible study doing this? Hey, could I share something on Wednesday nights? It, autom- it organically became the response. When you really believe in the concept and the kingdom of Jesus Christ, that you find them, you unite them, and you equip them, naturally they will launch out and begin to do what they are called to do. I believe that's what this church is being built on this year. That we're going to find you. We're going to unite you the best that we can. We're going to equip you with anything and everything we can come up with. And out of it, I believe people are going to launch from this church and impact the community. Advance the kingdom. Move things forward. It's going to organically be the response. This is what Life Church looks like. You may be seeing... You may be asking, what is it like here? What do we do here? What's the thing? And even though the last year or so has been the strangest, craziest, uncertain, we don't know what we're doing. We do know that as this thing is honing back in, the Holy Spirit is correcting us, leading us, and guiding us into this concept that a functional kingdom will be these four things. Finding, uniting, equipping, and launching. And I believe that's where we're going to see the growth of the kingdom. Can I get someone to play some music? You're awesome, Bliss. So as we begin to look forward into this, think about this. What does this look like for you individually? That being said, next Sunday night will be our official Life Group's relaunch. Four people are so excited. It's going to be a huge night. It's going to be huge. It's going to be our official relaunch, and it's going to look a little different this go-around. And to be honest, we don't have all the details ironed out yet, and I don't think we will. But next Sunday night, we're going to relaunch this, and we're going to start moving in the direction of finding ways to equip you to you grow. You advance the kingdom. You do the work of the ministry. And really start shifting things from a man of power for the hour type mentality to a equilibrium within the church that things are equally balanced in the working of the ministry. And so that being said, this year, we're going to push you. We're going to challenge you. We're going to get you out of your comfort zones. We're going to just, like Jesus, push you as much as you can. And in the pushing, I understand it gets uncomfortable and, and there's always the, I don't know if I can do that. That's, that's not really my thing. Jesus never stopped in his 12 and said, well, what's your thing and what's your thing and what's your thing and we'll build ministries around your thing. No, 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 no. He said, I know what's in you and I'm going to push you. I'm going to push you until this kingdom explodes and begins to affect our communities. So I was challenged this week to not miss an opportunity today to speak and declare, partner with you. I believe there's a spirit that comes with a word like this. There's a spirit of the functional kingdom. I don't don't know how else to put that right now. I don't have the language for it, but it's a thing within them. They, They had to catch it from Jesus. I don't think Jesus could just teach them into being the greatest, what we consider some of the greatest men to walk the planet. It couldn't just be taught, as Pastor Steve used to always tell us, it had to be caught. There had to be that deep crying out to deep within you. And I understand at this moment and this stage, not everybody's going to jump into this and say, yeah, I'm ready to advance and go, equip me, train me, push me, make me uncomfortable. I get it. Nobody wants that. But today I want it to just be the first step in the right direction. So I'm going to give you the opportunity this morning. If you're here today, and as I was speaking on this type of kingdom and this functionality, as mama would say, it made your baby leap within you. Like there was something in you that thought, yeah, that's it. That's what I was created for. 
put me in a group and train me and then let me train someone else and then let's see the kingdom move. If there's something in you that thinks, you know what, I believe in this. If that's you, I want you to come up this morning and we're going to partner together. And I believe God is going to impart this spirit within us that begins to create such a functional family, such a functional kingdom, that this is going to be the catalyst for change in our community. So if that's you this morning, come on. I just want you to line up across the front. We are about to move forward in advancing the kingdom. All right, all you that are up here, next week you got to lead a small group. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Half of y'all just passed out and it wasn't in the spirit. <laughs> Man, I'm so, I'm moved by this, by you guys. Because I literally just told you, I'm going to push you, I'm going to make you uncomfortable, I'm going to make you get out there and do it, I'm going to make you speak to people. And you're just up here like, I know, it's the kingdom. Like, I feel it. I feel you. It's like you were just waiting for someone to finally say, Go. Go do it. Get out there. It's like we knew within us there's something else. There's some other movement. There's some other thing. But we weren't real sure. And now God is beginning to put language on it. And I can just see you. This is the way I see you right now. I see you as runners who have gotten down on the blocks. And you're just waiting for one, somebody to pull the trigger. Just waiting for someone to say, Go! And you're going to come out running. This response is incredible. I don't know. I, I'm... Dad always says he's not good at doing altar calls, and I'm twice as bad as him. So I don't know how this is going to work or what it's going to look like. I don't know that I'm going to lay hands on all of you. I just want you to begin to ask the Holy Spirit, what does this look like for me? What does this look like in my life? How do I begin to be trained and equipped so that organically a ministry begins to launch out of my spirit? Man, I just feel that. Some of you are going to be surprised at what it looks like. Some of you are going to be surprised that it doesn't look like a Bible study. It may look like morning coffee with someone. It may look like a small business in your community. It may look like the opportunity to invest in a few kids. Don't put him in a box. Just begin to ask him to lead you. What ministry is in me waiting to be released into the world? Waiting to be released into people? Waiting to advance the kingdom of God? You have been called for such a time as this. Father, I thank you this morning. I thank you that you are currently taking us through a process of metanoia, which means to change the way you think. And we're going to start thinking differently about the cave. The cave is not where we make home. It's not where we put up a mailbox. The cave is where you become trained, discipled. That cave may be in your living room. It may be at a coffee shop. It may be on the job. It may be at McDonald's for breakfast for a biscuit and a coffee. But it's where you become equipped and trained and made ready. And God has the privilege to release His kingdom out of you. It's an equal balance. Father, we thank you this morning. I believe you are calling up leaders right now. Small group leaders, family leaders, business leaders. You're calling them out of this group right now. You're preparing them mentally, spiritually. You're putting them in position. You're giving them words even as we speak this morning. Things are happening deep within the spirit of your children. Something is shifting this morning. I need you to press into the spirit right now and grab hold to whatever it is he's changing in you. You've been thinking, I can't be the one. It's not for me. It's not for me. It's for you. It's for you. Oh, listen to this. Listen to this. This is why God gave me this yesterday. I was in prayer here yesterday morning, and I heard the Holy Spirit call me Jeremiah. And if you know me very well, you know this weird thing I have with the prophetic. I love you, Jennifer. But I, I, there is an ongoing wrestling and struggling in my spirit with things prophetic. 
It just, I'm just being honest and vulnerable with y'all. I absolutely love it and I honor it in my life. And it has been some of the most pivotal directions in my life have came from the prophetic. But when God calls me a major prophet, in prayer, I resisted him immediately. And I said, no, sir. And he began to change my perspective and he said, I don't want you to look at the big prophecies and the crazy moments. I want you to look at Jeremiah. So I went back to the book of Jeremiah. And in the beginning, God calls him and says, I've anointed you and ordained you and called you from your mother's womb. All this great stuff. And after all that, the first thing Jeremiah says is, I can't. It's not me. You missed it. I'm too young, I'm too this, I'm too whatever. And starts to give God all his reasons why he's not the man. And I'm giving God all your I'm, I'm too messed, messed up. up. I'm too dysfunctional. I've done too much. I'm too shy. I'm too quiet. I'm too whatever your thing is. God just ignores him. I'm going to put a word in your mouth. God, you missed it. I said, I'm not. God said, I'm going to put a word in you. 20 chapters later, God has given Jeremiah a prophetic word. And Jeremiah says, I wasn't going to say a word. God's giving me words, speaking to me personally. And I was like, no, I'm not saying nothing. Not me. I'm not the one. And God reveals why. Later, God tells him, don't be scared of their faces. He wasn't physically scared. He was scared. Like... God, I'm not the one to stand in front of all these faces and speak and declare this word. 20 chapters later, he's given prophetic words. He's seen God do miraculous things. Still, 20 chapters later, God, I can't. I'm scared of their faces. And he began to show me who Jeremiah was as a person. But throughout 20 chapters, even though he was scared to speak in front of their faces, he says, God, I'm too scared. I was going to keep my mouth shut. But, but 20 chapters of relationship overrode the fact that I'm just scared. I've got so many reservations. If I could open my chest and let you look into my life, you would be floored at the amount of reservations and reasons and all the things of why I'm not the one, why I'm sick every Sunday morning, every opportunity to minister, every time I have the chance. God, I'm scared of their faces, and I hide in my office until the very last second, and then I run out when worship's about to start because I'm scared I'm going to have to talk to you, and I'll be distracted, and, and all this is going on, and this is my life, and this is who I am, and I stand up here for the first 20 minutes scared to death, of the faces but there's 20 chapters of relationship that bubbles up on the inside of me and says even though I'm scared I'm gonna say it so I'm gonna quote mama Patty this morning and tell you as we begin to push you into these areas and these arenas don't let the fact that you're scared of their faces stop you from doing it just do it scared Rely on the relationship and do it scared. And don't let a single person tell you you're less spiritual because you're scared. You're scared because this garment don't fit. God, I'm not the one. This is way too big for me. This is too much for me. I can't handle this. And God's saying, just keep moving. Just keep speaking. Just keep going. Eventually, that garment will fit just right. Eventually you'll grow and you'll be like, man, killing it in this small group thing. I'm killing it as a father. I'm killing it as a mom. And you'll look back and remember when the garment didn't fit at all and you were scared to death and you'll stop and say, by the grace of God. By the grace of God. Last prayer right now together. God, unify us. God, you found us this morning. <laughs> Some of you didn't even know you were lost sitting right there on the pew. You weren't lost on your way to hell. You were just lost, uncertain of your direction. And God found you this morning. And now He's pulled you up here and He's uniting you all together. And now that we're here and we're united, God is about to create some opportunities to equip you and to make you ready and I declare today by the grace of the Holy Spirit that soon 
And very soon we will see you launch into your ministry, launch into your impact, launch into your influence, launch into your small business, launch into your area of impact. We just declare it this morning by the grace of God that we have been found. Everybody say found. We have been united. Everybody say united. We will be equipped. And I, everybody say I, will launch. Father, we thank you for it this morning. You've been so good to us. I just declare your blessings, your direction, and your guidance by the help of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. We love you. Go launch out into what you're called to do. Thank you for listening to this Life Church podcast. 